you may be dismissed. And if you would open your Bibles to Luke two eight, Luke two eight, we've uh, kind of made a little bit of a progress through there, and and uh, we we watch uh, oh just some amazing stuff. Two one is about the decree that went out from Caesar Augustus, and uh, they were proceeding to register for the for the uh, uh, census that was there. Verse 7 or 6, And it came about while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. So all the prophecies were getting ready to come to pass. Emmanuel, God with us. What a beautiful word. What a beautiful title. One of the titles of the Lord Jesus, of the Messiah. Isaiah 7:14. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God became man and dwelt on earth. In verse 6, it came about while they were there. They had gone to Bethlehem. That's where, that's where Joseph's lineage was from. The days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes, uh, swaddling clothes, really, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. In verse 8, it says, we need this thing. It's not up, is it? Okay, let's blame Kelvin. Can't defend himself. Yay. Me and it had a round this morning before anybody got here. <laughs> okay, verse 8. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields. And keeping watch over their flock by night. As I mentioned, there's a lot of um, discussion, if you will. Was Jesus born in October? Was he born in December? Was he born in April? March? When was he born? Well, the important thing is he was born. Okay? That's the important thing. So we can argue over all this other stuff and really miss the point. Because God became man and dwelt among us. Glory is the only begotten of the Father. That's the point. Some people say, well, the shepherds were never in their fields in December, so it couldn't possibly be true. But it depends on the year. Was it warm enough? If it was warm enough, see, that it's interesting. Sometimes animals don't go by calendars. You know, I can tell my dog that, that it's January, and she doesn't care. She just puts her foot out the door, toenails go, it's 30 degrees, I can go back inside, and she whines until she gets back in. That's the way that, that they they work. But it could have been a warm warm winter. So there are people working on it now, trying to determine what day was it, okay? So what is kind of my attitude. And that may be kind of lackadaisical, but it's uh, sometimes you just look for what's important. What's important was not the day he was born. What's important is he was born. And he says, now these are shepherds. Lowly shepherds doing their job, right? And I, I love this passage because here they are just doing their job. And it says, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Now, would that wake you up if you were a little bit sleepy? They were out there at night. There they were laying across the door of the sheepfold or out in the fields if they had them out there to, to pasture. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before. Was it Gabriel? I don't know. He's been around. You know, he was there to Zacharias. He was there to Mary. Uh, was, has he been around? Well, we don't know. Just an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were terribly frightened. Now, honestly, I think we'd be the same way. You know, and if you knew it was coming, you might not be as, as frightened. But out here in the middle of the field, which you've been there night after night, you know what it's like, you're familiar with the surroundings, and all of a sudden an angel shows up, and you go, okay. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Does that sound familiar? This is uh, literally, fear not. The same command was given to Zacharias in Luke 1.13. It was given to Mary in Luke 1.30. And then it was given to Joseph in Matthew 1.20. Fear not. So whenever this is getting ready to happen, there are a whole lot of scared people. Okay? And so what is the first thing they say? It's all right. 
Don't be afraid. Slow down. Think about it. Listen. And he says, for behold, this is why you're not supposed to be afraid. He's getting ready to tell them. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a soter, a savior, who is Christ the Lord, Christos Kurios. Christ dash Lord. Wow. Uh, Christ. Messiah. Who is he? The Lord. Kurios. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Manger is a watering trough. So I say, okay, they're going to do it. Where? In Jerusalem is where it's going to be. Okay, in the city of David. They knew where it was. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. Now, that would get your attention. I mean, what a joyous event. I'd like to be part of that once I got over my fear. You know, that would be, <laughs> I'd be like anybody else. You know, if I'm out in the woods at night and I'm going, okay, does some of that dinner not set well with me or what What happened? <clears throat> Glory to God in the highest. This is the angelic coast. Seems like they ought to write a song about that. <laughs> and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Literally, the Greek says, to men of good thinking. You got your head screwed on straight. Peace can come about. Okay, why? Because God man is now among us. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Okay, The Lord picked out the right shepherds, didn't he? He picked out the right shepherds. And he said, This is how you'll identify him. So he's got multiple witnesses to identify this child. And they came in haste. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph. And the baby as he lay in the manger. Were they led of the Spirit? Doesn't say they were. Kind of guessed they were. They also probably knew plenty of people. Said any babies born here tonight? And they sent them in the right direction. And when they had seen this. They made known the statement. Which had been told them about the child. Okay. So they go to. They go to. Mary and Joseph, they go to the child. And so here they are to, to bring this, this angelic report. They were the first to be blessed with the message. And they were the first to report it. Interesting thing. Ezekiel 34, we covered that recently, talks about worthless shepherds. Okay, And they're talking about the spiritual leaders of Israel. And how worthless they are. This is a contrast to shepherds. Without even seeing it. Here are the, here's the real deal. The ones that actually take care of these four-footed stubborn creatures. Okay, They actually do that. And what did they do? They obediently followed what they were told to do. Okay, Now what does the other shepherds of Israel do? The spiritual leaders that should be obedient if nothing else. We see them over the, the next 33 years is what we see. Now, <clears throat> in verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at the things which are told them by the shepherds. See, there was a massive group of people who did not understand the times that they were living in. Hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? There's a lot of people today that don't understand the times in which they are living. So here's a massive group of people in the first century. Should they have? Had the shepherds, the other shepherds, been doing their jobs, they would have known it was time for Messiah to appear. And how would they know that? Well, there's two prophecies that deal with the timing of the first advent. And the first one in Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah till Shiloh comes. Shiloh means the one to whom it belongs. Uh, the scepter. Scepter, you track the word down, it's the ruler's staff. 
shall not depart from Judah. What happens? Did had, had it happened? 28 A.D. Rabbi Akiba is quoted in saying, "Woe to us! The scepter has departed from Judah." They no longer have the right of capital punishment, administration of the law, or anything else. It has departed from Judah, <coughs> and Messiah has not yet come. See, the rabbi, chief rabbi, knew that. That that, that prophecy was fulfilled, and he said, no Messiah. Two years later, Messiah shows up on the scene, and guess who's the first to condemn the ones that should have known. <clears throat> In Daniel 9, <clears throat> 24 to 27, that is quite a, quite a prophecy called the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks. And we know that after the 69th week, which is a period of 483 years, from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, which was given under Artaxerxes, March 4th, 444 B.C., it's pretty well documented, and guess you keep counting the days and counting the days, and where do you end up? Just about that time. Did anybody know that and figure it out? We're going to see somebody that did. That's coming up in the next in the next section. He knew. Well, he knew what, what time it was. He knew what time it was, and he was ready. He was he had been praying for it. It says, But Mary treasured up all these things. Pondering them in her heart. Now, been a lot happened since the announcement from Gabriel. But what did Gabriel tell her? You're going to have a child. This this child's going to rule nations. This she, Gabriel was told told her this is what's going to happen. But over the course of nine months, she starts wondering. But she still has a child. She knows she is a, a virgin who has been made with child by the Holy Spirit. She knows that. But um, Mary treasured up all these things because she evidently didn't connect all the other prophecies about being born in Bethlehem and all this. She didn't connect them. It says, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. The point is, God marvelously blesses obedient people. Um, now, that doesn't mean your life's going to be all smiles if you obey his word in every aspect. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, I, I see people, uh, they, they, they have a distortion, they call it prosperity theology, that if you just get everything right, God's going to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. But they're thinking in terms of the earthly and not the heavenly. And when you start thinking in terms of the earthly and you get your eyes on the things of the world and not on the things above, you always misread stuff. That's, that's the way it happens. Your life's not going to be all peachy keen and smiles. But you're going to have an opportunity for a blessing that is indeed amazing and possibly somewhat miraculous. You know, I, I run into people and they start telling me stories about how God has done such amazing things in their life. And they know it wasn't them. It was just the Lord putting things together. by, by and, and they've been o- obedient. And it, you know what it really gets to do is let us see things through spiritual eyes. You know, the world's not falling apart, it's falling into place. So if we've got our eyes correctly focused, then we know the Lord's putting it all together to bring about his plan the way he said he was going to bring it. And that should lead us to fear not. To fear not. So how do you test something like this? Well, the the Lord himself is the standard for doctrine. 1 Timothy 6.3. So if you want to test a doctrine against anything, what did Jesus think, say, do? How did he go about doing it? And the, uh, the Lord is the perfect example of obedience. Was his life easy? It had its great moments. Oh, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Okay, a great moment when he taught Peter a wonderful life lesson. A great moment when he restored Peter. 
a, a great moment after great moment. But his life was anything but easy. The Son of Man did not have a place to lay his head. See, so <clears throat> this is how you test doctrines like that. Is it saying if you get everything right, God's going to make you rich, wealthy, healthy, wealthy, and wise, and all those other things? No. You're living in a fallen world with a fallen nature. And out of that fallen world comes testing. Comes some pretty serious stuff from time to time. The point is that we're trying to get this Christian life right. And when you get it right, you're going to face opposition. I didn't say that. Jesus did. In this world, you have trouble. And you look at that map and that missionary map on the back wall. It is the, the places that, that our, our folks are in there is getting worse and worse and worse. They have just taken, um, Voice of the Martyrs just took India and moved it to their next highest status of persecution level. And it is uh, why they want it to be an all-Hindu nation. Well, if it becomes an all-Hindu nation, they'll get to see what that really means. Which will be no standards and everybody for themselves. And everybody making their own little gods. That's what that It's already headed that way, but that's, that's what's going to happen. Strive to the point of shedding blood against sin is what we're told to do. Hebrews 12. You've not rested, yet resisted to the point of shedding blood against sin. To stand up for what is right is... is can cost it can cost a lot but david said what's man able to do to me you know i said you can kill me okay so what they tried that with paul i love those responses they tried that with with paul and he said they can kill me and send me to heaven <laughs> so <laughs> or they can leave me here for your sake I don't care. Whatever the Lord's got for me. That's fine. Those are the attitudes that we should have. To be willing to stand for the truth. Now, <clears throat> Simeon and Anna come up next. In Luke 2, verse 21 to 39. And uh, the, the verse from 1 Chronicles 12, 32 comes to mind. It says, Now the sons of Issachar... This is a correct understanding of that verse. Men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel would do. Their chiefs were 200. Their kinsmen were at their command. Men who understand the times. So there are people throughout history that understand what is going on. Okay, There are those people. And so... <clears throat> Then the men of Issachar, actually, at one time, they don't get mentioned very often outside of the list. Have, have you noticed that? The men of Issachar, <coughs> they're not brought up very much, other than to say that <coughs> Issachar gets this chunk of land. And that, that's about it. It's kind of like some of the apostles. Some of the apostles are only mentioned in the lists of names that you find. So, But they had a, a lot to do with the spread of Christianity. But now... <coughs> There are people that understand the times. And was there anybody that was looking for Messiah? And here we go. Verse 21. After the birth of Jesus, when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Okay? That's what was told to Mary. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This is a dedication, a baby dedication, if you will. Sometimes people rock that. We're not commanded to do anything like that, but uh, when, when, why not bring a child, a newborn, and say, he's the Lord's. We're going to bring him up in that way. In verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens a womb should be called holy to the Lord. Special. Exodus 13, verse 2, verse 12 is where it's coming from. 
every firstborn, and he was the firstborn male. Do you see how in multiple ways it tells us Jesus was the firstborn of Mary? Because there are those who say, well, he was just one of many kids, somewhere down the line. Any way they can attack it, the scripture makes it very clear, the only begotten son. Here we, here we are. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So they show up, uh, go to Jerusalem to present him before, before the Lord. And then Simeon. Now, Simeon's qualifications are found in verse 25. And from this, you're, you're going to get to fill in some blanks. I'm trying to keep you awake here. But <laughs> I love these passages. I'm going to go through them. And they're, they're just wonderful to see once again. It says, and behold, pay attention. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous. Now, this is the word dikaios. Dikaios, and here, this indicates that he lived what was given to him. Because how did you get righteousness? By faith, according to Abraham. Abraham believed God. It was given to him righteousness. Okay, but then after we're given the righteousness, we're supposed to live it. So that <clears throat> the scripture views those as two things. You've been imputed with the righteousness of God, which, praise the Lord, gets us into heaven. It's like getting a pike pass on your car. Okay? You get that pike pass on your car and you go right through there and you don't stop and talk to St. Peter. Okay? Or pay the piper. You don't do any of that stuff. You just go right on through. Okay, that's the righteousness we need to get into heaven. But there's another righteousness that involves rewards. That's what we're supposed to live. We just saw passages in Colossians that talked about believers in Colossians 3 that can do all the wrong things. Well, put all those sins out and do the right things, and there's rewards for that. 1 Corinthians 3, other, many other places, that there are blessings above and beyond just getting into heaven. And that's what, what we should want. So he was righteous, and we're going to see he lived what had been given to him. He lived out that righteousness. And he was devout. Eulabes is the word. Labes comes from lumbano, that means to take hold of, and the U on the front of it means well, to take hold of well. And it is, uh, means basically careful as to the realization and presence and claims of God. So it gets understood as reverencing God. Many times translated pious or devout like it's translated here. So here is a guy that not only has the righteousness of God, but he's living it. He's devoted to the Lord. Looking for the consolation of Israel. Consolation is the word parklesis. Now parklesis is a beautiful word. Because that's what the Holy Spirit's called, the paraclete. And it means to call alongside. It means to encourage. It means to comfort. He's looking for the encouragement of Israel. He's looking for the comfort of Israel. Okay? So he is looking for the the encourager is who he's looking for. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, notice we just saw the Holy Spirit fill some people, like Mary, Elizabeth. We, we saw that unusual, not the way it's described under the, the Old Testament economy, not till the day of Pentecost. And this is the normal Old Testament uh, spirituality. The Holy Spirit was upon believers. On the day of Pentecost and afterward, the Holy Spirit moved into believers whenever they believed. So we are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now notice Simon's three qualifications. Simon's three qualifications is he lived what was given to him. That's the first one that was there. He lived it. So he was righteous. It was given righteousness by grace through faith, but he lived it. So all who are believers in Jesus Christ have received God's righteousness. And now he says, live it. You can document that point all over the scripture. 
And he had a true relationship with the living God. He was devout. He's devoted. He took what he was given and he made it his life. See? <clears throat> and he was looking for the consolation of Israel. Why would he do that if he didn't know about it? Okay? And he was looking for it. And he had the and the third one is he had the Holy Spirit. So if we want to look at some qualifications to maybe receive a blessing we never thought imaginable. Or we live in what's been given to us. Do we have a real relationship with the living God? Is he our life? And you have the Holy Spirit as a believer. He's inside of you. But sometimes people don't let him influence. They shut him out. They quench as it's called or grieve the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Quite clearly, sin grieves the Holy Spirit because he's God and he's righteous. He doesn't like sin. So it grieves him. But quenching is whenever that goes on for a period of time and people stop listening to him at all. That's a quenching of the Holy Spirit. And I submit we've probably got a lot of that in Christianity and had a lot of it throughout history. But right now, when 90% of the people in churches don't believe the Bible's inspired word of God, they're quenching the Spirit. Because he is revealed through there. Now, verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. He wasn't going to... He wasn't going to die. Now, <clears throat> I know a lot of us are looking for the rapture at any time. <clears throat> I haven't personally been given any information that says you're going to be raptured or you're going to be or you're going to die. So the conclusion is prepare for both. Okay, prepare for both. That's that's what you do. But this guy got a got a tap on the shoulder. Whatever it was, the Holy Spirit said. You're going to see Messiah. Now that sounds like he's had a great blessing, right? Because what? He lived what was given to him. He had a real relationship with the living God and he had the Holy Spirit. Now, this was a personal ministry the Holy Spirit had to this individual. And our response should be the same to any promise given to us as well. When he gives us a promise, we ought to live accordingly. So the first principle we draw out of this, <clears throat> first principle is to have faith in the promises of God. Have faith in the promises of God. And we have to ask, whenever we're going through looking at promises, I've, I, that, that was turned out to be one of the largest undertakings ever is to try to put together a book on promises. Because there is a lot of them out there. I've got multiple books on promises. I've got prom- There's 31,000 verses in the Bible. I've got, ver- got books with 10,000 promises in them. I don't think so. Because they're taking anything and everything, turning it into a promise. When you read any part of Scripture, you have to do this when you're reading a fiction novel even. Who's talking? Who are they talking to? What are they saying? Is it applicable to me? You have to ask some very basic questions. Now, if they're talking to Israel, that promise is not really for me. Oh, I know the plans that I have for you to give you a future and a hope. That's Israel in exile. Okay? That's the promise. Now, by application... Does he know the plans he has for me? Yes. (laughs) To give me a future and a hope? Yes. But that's not my promise. (laughs) Okay? You get that from other places out of the scripture. So when you look at verses like that, you have to ask, is this for me? And when you find things that are universal, Jeremiah 18, I can speak and bring down a nation. I can speak and rise it up. I can do those things. For those who listen to me, this is what's going to happen. For those who don't, this is what's going to happen. I can find universal statements that apply to everybody. Okay? And those apply to me. So you have to be careful when you're looking for 
promises. And oftentimes a promise has a condition with it. Now some promises don't, like Noah. Do you see that thing in the sky with all those colors? I shall never again flood the earth like I did. That's promise for all of us. So no matter how much it rains or what kind of monsoon you got caught in, okay, it's not going to flood the whole earth again. It's not going to do it. That's a promise for everybody. So, but other things, there's a promise that if you do this, then I will do that. So sometimes whenever we find a promise, we got to ask, are we fulfilling the promise? Are we fulfilling the condition? <clears throat> I, I love Abraham. Go forth from the land of your relatives, and I will make you a great nation. I will multiply your seed as the, as the stars of the sky, and from you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I always ask the question, what if he didn't do that? Would it have been the Abrahamic covenant? Or the Ahmed covenant. What covenant would it have been? If Abraham wouldn't have gone, I don't believe he would have got the Abrahamic covenant. There's a condition attached. And as Abraham did those things, leave the land of your relatives in the place, as you as you've tracked that through <clears throat> Genesis twelve to nineteen, what you find out is when as Abraham complied, God ratified different portions of the covenant. And he didn't ratify all the nations of the earth till Genesis 22 with the sacrifice of Isaac. Okay, So whenever the conditions are met, the promises go into effect because that's who God is. Now, did we meet the conditions? So if we find something that's got a conditional clause attached to it, if you will do this, then I will do that, we got to ask, are we meeting the conditions? Now, verse 27 it says, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out the custom of the law. See, the days of purification, they followed the law. Mary and Joseph followed the law rigorously. They went to Jerusalem. They went into the temple to dedicate the child to the Lord. And guess who, who meets them? Simeon. Okay. <clears throat> Oh, to carry out the custom of the law. So notice this. Second principle is follow the Holy Spirit's lead. Okay? Follow the Holy Spirit's lead. Have faith in the promises of God. You believe it's going to happen. They are called hope and an anchor of the soul that we have. So follow his lead. Okay? <clears throat> it says, Then he took him, which is the child, into his arms... And blessed God. Eulageo means to speak a good word. Legeo means to talk. You means well or good. Speak a good word about God. So here is Simeon who had been promised that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Okay, That's, that's the promise. So whenever he sees Messiah in this little child, he speaks a good word about God. I don't know exactly what he said, but there's a whole lot to say. You know, the the Almighty, just look back at the Magnificat, what Mary said. Look at Zacharias when he opened his mouth. <coughs> a lot of ways to speak a good word about God. And the Holy Spirit chose not to inspire it to be written down for us to read. But what we do know is that it is uh, good words. So the third principle... <coughs> would be to fill your life with Jesus the Messiah. <clears throat> We're so, we so want to fill it with fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. That's what we want. We turn that into our idols. We turn that into our gods. And we're more interested in what people think of us. That's fame. Now, you don't intentionally go looking for ways to make people mad. Okay? But what it does mean <clears throat> is that you live what is right in a crooked and perverted generation. That's that's what it means. So <clears throat> fame, most people that want to be famous become infamous because they end up doing something stupid and route to their to their to their fame. Fortune. 
I got the privilege of flying on an aircraft this last week, a Boeing 737, <clears throat> and I'm glad it didn't go boing boing. But it was <laughs> it was the privilege of flying on that, and I got in this thing, and the I don't know if you've been in any lately. The aisles are literally this big. They don't make people that size anymore. Okay, and you're trying to go down this aisle on this free boarding, okay? When you go in, you said anywhere you want. So you're trying to go down this aisle carrying a suitcase and a and only two items. You can't have three items. If it's got a strap on it, it's it's, it's an item. You can and that's all the stuff they tell you real fast. There's not space. Then when you get in, you're always touching somebody you don't want to touch. Cuz there's no other way to sit in those seats. Why? Fortune. Pure greed. If we shrink these seats another half inch or an inch, then we can we can get this many more seats in it. Why don't you build the planes a foot wider and you make everybody happy? But that's just my suggestions. But fill your life with Jesus Christ, not all the things of, of, of the world. Fill your life with Jesus Christ. And here's one of the things he said. Now, Lord, you do let your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. The Holy Spirit told him he'd be around to see the Messiah. <laughs> I guess he was old. I guess he was tired. I guess he was ready to go. And he says, I can go in peace now. I can go in peace. You've kept your word to me. So the point there is to fulfill your calling. See, fulfill your calling. You want to have faith in the promises of God. You're going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're going to fill your life with Jesus. You want to fulfill your calling. And then he says, why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. Uh, salvation. Is that in a principle? Is that in a philosophical principle or is that in a person? It's kind of like people think, well, the truth is all found in philosophical reasoning and all that. No, it's found in a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. So what is, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fill your life with Jesus Christ. Fulfill your calling. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I'd throw, how many verses can you put in there? Hebrews 12.1. Uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 12.2. The author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy set in front of him endured the cross. See, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now I can die in peace. Okay, why? You fulfilled your promise. You told me I would get to see him. And he says, verse 31, which you have prepared, which you have, which salvation... You have prepared hoitoimazo, the word that means to prepare in the presence of all people. To prepare means like you're you're <laughs> you're getting ready for something. Okay, it's frequently used of a person that puts together all the stuff for a, a traveling uh, dance troupe. That's how it's used in in that first century time. Because if they're getting ready to go perform somewhere, they need a lot of stuff. I was in Burma one time in the school for the blind and they had a traveling troupe. And it was quite interesting because the all of the equipment was stored upstairs and there's about 16 steps to the downstairs. And when they when new kids came in, it was for, for kids, when new kids came in, they were taken under their wing by the kids that had been there and taught their way around the facility. And it was quite a facility where they had with the mess hall, with the rooms, and that, that was a in in-house thing. And they and these these young people would get all of the equipment out, bring it down the stairs, load it in the truck. Then they go to where they were going to perform, unload all of it, set it all up, and 
do their performance, and then they bring it all back together, pack it all up, and bring it back, and they bring it back up the stairs into that storage facility that they they had up there. <clears throat> that is being prepared. They were prepared because they had everything they needed. They were trained properly in how to use it. He says, you prepared what? Your salvation. Where? In the presence of all the people. What's getting ready to happen is going to be visual. They will be able to see it. And Simeon's just told everybody that. He says, that tells us to feast on what God has prepared. Feast on what he's prepared. We start thinking about heaven and we start Think th- I, oh no, I know a lot of us. I used to think about heaven in terms of I finally get my Testarossa and my own racetrack and all those <laughs> crazy things of this world. And I thought, what am I thinking about? <laughs> those those things are so far down the list. When gold is paving material, those things we consider valuable and good and important now. What the Lord has in store for us is more than anything we can think or imagine. 2 Timothy 2.21 If a man cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. He's saying sin's just a waste of time. That's what he's talking about. Sin is a waste of time for a Christian. Because if you're sinning, you're not getting any rewards. And in that sense, we ought to be a little bit greedy. We should want them. We should want them. Why God says they're the best thing. You can't even imagine what they are like. But nobody can explain what God has prepared for us. Now, <clears throat> feast on what he has prepared. What we know about is amazing. He says, a light of revelation to the who? Gentiles? Sometimes the, the Jews got so wrapped up in this is all about me. They were supposed to be a mission-minded group of people. They were supposed to let people into Israel. They were supposed to, but the people that came in were supposed to comply. That was under the Mosaic Law. But yeah, they, there were people, there were Gentiles <coughs> who were who loved the Jewish people. Can you think of any of them? The centurion, for one. There were people that loved the Jewish people. And the centurion was stood up for by the Jews. Whenever he had a sick servant, and he went to the Lord to see if he'd heal him. Okay? And his faith as the Lord says, the Lord says, I haven't seen greater faith in all of Israel. So who is he going to be? A light of revelation to the Gentiles. He's not just the Savior of the Jews. He's not just the Jewish Messiah. He's the Savior of all people. And the glory of thy people, Israel. So we've seen fulfill your calling. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Feast on what God has got prepared. And focus on the light. Focus on the light. Lord, the light of your love is shining. In the midst of the darkness, shining. See? It's the verse we sang. The the song we sang this morning. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with your Father's glory. So, focus on the light. Is he still here in the middle of this darkness? Yes. Is the truth still here in the middle of this crooked, perverted generation? It is. So let's focus on that. It says, And his father and his mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. What? <laughs> Joseph and Mary? Some, somewhere along the line. They were told what to do. They did it. Great believers in that sense they followed the instructions they did what they were supposed to do but there are a lot of things they didn't know 
And it says they were amazed at the things that were said about their child, Jesus. Huh. I wouldn't have thought Mary would have been so amazed after what Gabriel said. You know, Gabriel told her. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we sit through a lot of Bible classes and we don't take a lot home. <clears throat> Here's Mary <laughs> sat through a great Bible class. And as we're going to see, she didn't take a lot home with her. The point here is fight unbelief. When we run into things that are, uh, when we run into things that are, we just don't quite grab. You know, the disciples, one of the greatest requests they ever made of Jesus, help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Because there's still some things we go, well, I don't know. That's that's kind of crazy. We're going to get raptured out of here. Change the moment. The twinkling of an eye and all this other stuff. That sounds foolish. Sounds crazy. The world will tell you that real fast. But uh, if a doubt starts to set in that that's going to happen, they say, Lord, help my unbelief. Now, and Simeon, blessed them and he said to Mary his mother behold I love these behold statements it's actually a command it's the word hurao it means take a good long look at this it's not just simply behold it is behold and said to Mary his mother behold this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed. This one he gets really serious. He said to Mary. Because Mary was of all people should not have had any questions. About certain things. And he says. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. See look at the words of this prophet. Coming forth right now. To Mama, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed, may be revealed. Now to Mary, he's talking to Mary here, and he's making it very clear. And so to Mary, he says, your son's going to be an issue to Israel. It's going to be an issue to Israel. Okay, what's this going to do? Well, you know, we've already read ahead and we know. That they're going to oppose him. They're going to put him on a cross. They're going to crucify him. They're going to do all the things that they shouldn't do. And yet they're going to go ahead and do it. And he's telling Mary, get ready for it. We know that she'll be at the cross. She didn't know probably then that she would be at the cross. But he's preparing her for the fact that if you are there, get ready. Because your son will be an issue to Israel. Now what if you had a child i know a lot of us are parents we have have a child and we go <laughs> some guy comes up and says oh yeah this is what's going to happen to your child might not be too happy about it the second thing is your son's going to be attacked your son's going to be attacked and we know that happened to jesus they came after him with everything imaginable the scribes and the Pharisees went after him. The priest went after him. The people loved him. Uh, but a lot of times it was only for what he could give them. And he called them out on it. Did you come here just because I was going to feed you? What, you know, <laughs> why did you come? You want a real relationship or do you want one that's based on, on me giving you things? Your son will undergo incredible pain. And actually it says, and a sword will pierce even your own soul. That looks like that it is saying she's going to be there. You're going to watch. What if you knew your son was going to be put on a cross? Hang there. And then he was going to be pierced. Because that's picking up Old Testament prophecies. Pierced for our transgressions. The sword that went in from the centurion to determine whether or not he was dead or not. That went into his side. Mary, you're going to get to, she didn't know what it was about. But you're going to get to watch that. 
you're going to need to watch him die. And uh, probably the most, it, it, crucifixion's been called the most horrible form of capital punishment ever devised by man. And your son's going to be the standard. Your son's going to be the standard. The hearts of many hearts will be revealed. We'll know what's on really on people's minds. And as we live in this particular day and time, and we, we think about what people think and say, I don't know what they think, but I know what they say, and what, what they do to blaspheme Jesus. And they think there are no repercussions, no accountability, none of this other stuff. And so for us, when you hear someone go off on a tirade about the Lord Jesus Christ, does it pierce our soul anymore or we, it becomes so commonplace anymore that we don't even notice it? See, that's, that's a question. When it pierces our soul to hear someone make statements about Jesus like that, you get a taste of what Mary would go through. Honestly. See we need people. The ninth principle. We need people to remind us. We need people to remind us. Because it is so easy. To get wrapped up in our own lives. And our own little worlds. To, to forget about the really important things. Now that's Simeon. Next week we're going to see Anna. Anna, this is gonna that's always a fun section as well. But what we've just seen is some real important points here with Simeon about follow you, fulfill your calling, do what you're called to do. Take it a day at a time. That's not one of the points, but it's taught there. That's how we live the Christian life. One day at a time, one moment at a time. A lot of us like to see into the future, far into the future. Well, we know who holds the future. And that That should be sufficient for us. It should be. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you for all your blessings and all your tests. And Father, we just thank you for the the privilege of being called your kids. Thank you for your word. Every time we open it up and take a look and take more than a cursory glance, Father, we just find amazing things. We find this amazing plan of yours. We find a revelation of your son. We find out how we are called to live in a way that will honor and glorify you. And Father, may these principles stick with us as we leave this place and we go out into the world. We pray that they'd stick with us and we'd be able to live them so we too might be the right kind of example for all we come in contact with. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.